when it comes to facing certain challenges and the things that we dread, we put that to the back burner and say, someday we'll get to it. Someday. When is your someday? We talk about tomorrow as if tomorrow is a guarantee. We talk about our future like it's an automatic. And yet, the scripture reminds us that we should take no thought for tomorrow. Now, take that in proper context because in, in the series that we've been doing called The Other 90, we, we understand that we should be preparing for the end of our life. Solomon would tell us that a wise man or a wise person will lay up a retirement or an inheritance for his children, his children's children. And so we, we are instructed of the Word of God to, to provide for ourselves, to look towards the end of our life, the future of our life, and yet we must understand that there is no guarantee that there is a future. Today, the Bible said, is the day of salvation most of us I said most of us there are a few exceptions but most of us have the propensity to put off to tomorrow what we don't want to take care of today put it off don't worry about it it'll take care of itself and so today we're going to take a look at some scripture that would, would help us understand this. And today we're going to conclude, even though this is the first Sunday of May, and just, just touch your neighbor and say, Happy May Day. Happy May Day. Take a flower to somebody. It's May Day. That's what they used to do on May Day was, was send flowers. And so go, go stop at 7-Eleven, buy a rose, and... Take it to somebody and wish them a happy May Day. But even though this is the first Sunday of May and, and we normally begin new series uh, on the first Sunday of each month and, and we are preparing for the month of May to do a series on the Holy Spirit, miracles, signs, and wonders. And it's, it's going to be phenomenal. It really is. And you want to be here next Sunday. If you're a guest, we are so delighted that you're here today. And, and we welcome we welcome you uh, to the house of the Lord, and and yet uh, it seems like we've not been able to finish this series on the other ninety. But I feel so uh, compelled to do so. I feel so compelled that this is a vital subject that we need to address and talk about. And and so what we've dealt with the Sundays that we've been able to to teach about this is uh, the other 90. What that represents is uh, what we have left. Now we believe that the Bible is resolute in teaching us that we need to bring the first 10 percent to God. Thank you, all three of you. <laughs> But we believe, according to Scripture, that, that the first 10% of what we get belongs to God. Any increase that's brought to our life, we give the first 10 to God. The second portion of it, the other 90, 
God lets us do with that what we want to. Now, some there are some obligations. There's some house mortgages, car payments. You want to keep the electric on. I mean, electricity is nice. I mean, isn't it? You, you want something to eat. So the other 90 uh, is, is yours to do what you with. Bless you. Uh, but the other 90 is yours to do with what you choose to do with it. But it is important that we understand the Bible addresses this. It's a subject the Bible talks about. Now, in our world, there are basically five elements of com consumerism uh, that deal with finances. And, and here's the five. I'll say them very quickly if you'd like to write them down. But, but number one, earn. Two is spend. Three is save. Four is invest. And five is give. Notice the order. Earn. Spend. Save. Invest. And give. The average American today gives 3.8% of their finances to charity. Less than 11 people that call themselves Christians are faithful in giving God the 10%. Now I'm just giving you numbers. The average American, I told you when we began this series, this, the, the research I had done, the average American was spending $1.22 per every dollar they earned. <laughs> Don't kill the messenger. Research just came out this week that now the average American consumer is spending $1.36 per every dollar we make. Thank you, government, for teaching us how to go in debt. That's the rule of the day. That, that is what we're taught. That's consumerism. I believe there's a better plan. I believe there's, a, I'm not here to teach Dave Ramsey today or financial peace or financial freedom, but I am here to tell you that there is a place in Christ that we can live where we're happy in the midst of our lives. Amen. So first of all, I think the reverse, uh, the order ought to be reversed. We ought to give first. The Bible said to do what? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So, if we reverse the order, well, number one, we will give. The second thing is, I think we ought to take a portion and put it in investments. Just my philosophy. Number three, we ought to save. In fact, I think that we ought to save as much as what we're given to God. And then spend. Most of our spending would be less than what it is today if we would reverse the order. But I want to talk to you about this because I believe it is vitally important to us as Christians. Because one of the things that the pastor I, I see and I help people with is, is frustration. And one of the reasons that we are frustrated is because the spirit of consumerism or the spirit of mammon 
And the spirit, and what mammon simply is, is the god of money, the god of, 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 of materialism, the god of things. And let me just put a plug, if you weren't here Wednesday night, Brother Christopher, he did an awesome job talking about us being connected to stuff. Out of the book of Philippians, it was an incredible study. We're addicted to stuff. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, that is where we are as Americans. We are addicted to stuff. We're addicted to consumerism. I mean, some of you don't even like Captain Crunch, but if a Captain Crunch commercial comes on, you're headed off to H-E-B for some milk and cereal. I mean, that's, that's life. And, and, and we become impetuous and, and, and we, we, we see something and we think that we have to have it. We're not even hungry, but a food commercial comes on and so, man, we're off to the refrigerator. Can I talk to you today? And so we wonder why our life is, is spiraling out of control. We wonder why we're frustrated. It's got to be the latest tennis shoes or the, the latest gadget or, or the latest this or that. And, and we're so connected to having things and we think that the more things we have, the happier we're going to be. But can I tell you today, the person that dies with the most toys is not the winner? Now I have to rephrase because I used to say I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul to the cemetery, but someone sent me a picture the other day of a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse. So. But regardless, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to deal with it today from the Scripture that we were brought into this world with... We were brought into this world with nothing, and with nothing, we're going to leave this world. The things that we put so much value in are going to just be a big bonfire one of these days. That's what the Bible said. Heaven and earth is going to melt with a fervent heat. And so, for the next few moments, and I'm not going to be long here today, but I want to talk to you uh, about this subject and, and how that, that we can get a hold of this so it does not control us, and how that we need to face the issues and we need to address them. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 30, and I'm going to read from you today from the, the message version for the sake of time. I was going to read it in both versions, uh, but I want to just lift it from the message version, uh, Proverbs chapter 30. And, and it says, the skeptic swore there is no God. No God. So I can do anything I want. There, there is no God. So I am left up to myself. That, that's the spirit of Antichrist. That's the, that's the spirit of the New Age movement. That there is no higher power. There is no God. So I am not accountable to anyone or anything. I'm not responsible. Have no responsibility have no accountability because there is no 
God. But it was the psalmist who said in Psalms 14 when he said, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Ladies and gentlemen, if I want to establish one foundation today, I want you and I to understand that there is a God and every one of us are accountable to that God. We are accountable to God. So he said, I, I can do anything I want. I'm, an, I'm more animal than human. Isn't that the rave of the day? When we can massacre thousands and thousands of babies from the womb and yet march to save whales. Y'all ain't going to help me today, but I'll preach truth. We can abort from the womb and call it choice and then fight to save the seals. I like seals, I'm interested in seals, but ladies and gentlemen, I wonder what we're destroying in the process. And we're drunk on the blood of what we've called fetuses, but they're children. I think we need to raise a voice in this generation. If you've had an abortion, God's grace is there to forgive you. But as a nation, ladies and gentlemen, we need to address the issue, and especially people that believe in life and having life more abundantly. Now, trying to get political, I'm trying to get righteous today. We're more animal than we are human, so so-called human intelligence escapes me. In other words, if I can cast off the restraint that there is a God, then I can cast off the accountability that I have and I can live my life unto however I want to live it. But Solomon reminds us there is a way that seemeth right to a man in his own eyes, but the end thereof is destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a day of reckoning that's coming. All men and women, small and great, will stand before God at a white throne judgment and we're going to give an answer according to the deeds that we've done in the body. Just touch your neighbor and say, there's a judgment day coming. There is a judgment day coming. So he goes on to say, he said, I flunked wisdom. I see no evidence of a holy God. Has anyone ever seen anyone climb into heaven and take charge? Grab the winds and control them and, and gather the rain in buckets and stake out the ends of the earth. Just tell me his name. Tell me the names of his son. Come now, tell me. And yet, verse 5 said, the believer replied, every promise of God proves true. Every promise of God proves true. We used to sing a song years ago in Old Pentecost that every promise in the book is mine. Anybody remember that song? Every chapter, every verse, every line. I, I stand before you today to tell you that I'm glad some of the promises in that book are not for me. I'm, 
Because I don't want every promise. There's a lot of promises I do want, but some of them I don't want. But every promise of God will come to pass. God is bound to His Word and God cannot change His Word. His Word is forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. So the believer's response to the person who chose not to embrace wisdom is, every promise of God proves true. He protects everyone who run to him for help, so don't second guess him. He might take you to task and show up your lies. And here's, here's what I want to get to in verse number 7. And this he prayed. Here's the prayer of the believer. God, I'm asking for two things before I die. Don't refuse me. Banish lies from my lips and liars from my presence. Notice that. Here's what I want, God. I want to dwell in the integrity of your spirit. That's what we were singing about. Take me to that secret place. Come on. How many want to really go to that secret place? But see, in the secret place, you've got to get honest. See, that's why we have people that hang around the church. They want just enough of his presence to make them feel better. But they don't want too much of his presence because if they get too much of his presence, it's going to require something of them. If you get too close to his presence, you have to pull back the facade. You have to pull down your house of cards. You have to get honest with God and with yourself. And so it's easier just to play the religious game and go through the motions of it and thank you for a little touch. But when he takes you to the secret place, it's in the secret place that all the deeds are revealed. Remember John chapter 3 where Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Oh, he that loveth truth cometh to the light that all of a sudden every ill thing might be be revealed. Every sin might be revealed. Every evil thought might be revealed. Everything that's not like him might... Oh, does anybody really want to go to the secret place? A secret place. A secret place. And, and the reason I love it, it, he calls it a secret place, is because he's not going to expose me to you. He is not going to reveal my sins to you. Of course, now with Facebook, we don't, he don't have to. <laughs> it's a secret place for a reason. Because in the secret place, I can confess my weaknesses. I don't want to experience confess my weaknesses to you because I want you to see me as an alright person. 
I want you to think I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best, and I am doing my best. But in the secret place, I can tell him what I'm battling. In the secret place, I can tell him my secret sin. In the secret place, I can tell him that I'm doubting when I'm trying to act like I have faith. In the secret place... I can bear my soul to him. Uh, you know that, that one person over there that sits on the other side of the church? Yeah, them, Lord. But I can do that in the secret place. In that place where it's just he and me. In that place where it's just his presence and myself. But you've got to get honest if you go to the secret place. You've got to admit, Lord, that I'm caught up in the attitude of consumerism. I'm caught up in materialism. I'm caught up in, in a vortex of trying to please people that I really don't like. Impress people that when you get to really know them, there's not really anything worth impressing them. That, Lord, see, can I, can I go just a little deeper here? Because the issue, ladies and gentlemen, is actually a spirit of lust. See, we, all, we think lust, all lust has to do is sexual sin. Yeah, lust will lead you into sexual sin, but when you read of what the sin of Sodom was, we all, oh man, it was a bad, bad place. It was a perverted place. But, but Ezekiel tells us the sin of Sodom, and it wasn't a sexual deviancy. It was they were full of bread, they were full of pride, and they had idleness of time. Read it. It's in the book of Ezekiel. It was a lust issue, and ladies and gentlemen, the spirit of this age is a spirit of lust. Give me, give me, give me. I gotta have more. I gotta have more. I gotta have more. Most of us need to have a garage sale. I mean, really, most of us could appear on hoarders. <laughs> if pastors did down there today, isn't he? I'm dealing with the attitude, ladies and gentlemen, because it, it's not the things. It's not the things. It's not the items. We blame the items. It's not the items. It's the attitude. It's the heart. It's the root. He said, lest a root of bitterness spring up. It's the root. It's not that any of us don't make enough money. It's just we're not using our money as wise as we should. It's not that there's not enough left at the, in the other 90. It's just how we're using the other 90. 90% 90 of America have no budget. So we don't know whether we're spending too much or not until our dreaded credit card bill comes due to pay for the 36 cents of the extra that we have spent. So he said, take me to that 
secret place, your presence, banish lies from my lips and liars from my presence. Give me a heart that is honest before you. Anybody feel that today? Give me a heart that is honest before you, Lord, that's not caught up in this world, that's not full of the lust of this world, and banish liars from my presence. Next he said, and this is so important, give me enough food to live on. Again, this is the message version. But he said, give me enough food to live on. Neither too much nor too little. He said, if I am too full, I might get independent. Saying, God, who needs him? And if I'm poor, I might steal and dishonor the name of my God. So God, give me just enough. Because too much becomes the tipping point that causes me to say, God, I really don't need you. Am I helping anybody today? If I have too much, then I will say, God, I don't need you. If I have too little, it's the tipping point that sends me the other direction. So God, give me just enough. Somebody shout, God, give me just enough. God, give me just enough. Not too much, not too little. We don't have time to go because uh, it, it's, I'm out of time. But if you take the book of Proverbs and you go to the sixth chapter and you read verses one through six, and I would encourage you to write this down and, and read that this week. But he talks about the ant. He talks about how the ant gathers enough for winter. See, we live in an economy that's feast or famine. I mean, when we're having a boom, and everybody's doing good, and everybody's just spending and spending and spending. And then all of a sudden we go into a bust. And now all of a sudden we got to start paying for what we bought in the... And Solomon says, if you will take a lesson and learn from the ant... The ant says, when you're, you got enough and more than enough, you need to take some of that and store it up because winter's coming. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. You need to take some of the abundance and store it up because winter's coming. Learn a lesson from the ant. Don't spend everything you make. See, the majority of Americans live from paycheck to paycheck. Now, I'm not talking to everybody, and I, I do understand that. But I'm talking about the spirit, ladies and gentlemen, because that is what we need to address. We're always addressing the symptoms, and we're never addressing the spirit. It's a spirit of the age. 
It's an attitude of the age, ladies and gentlemen, that I've got to keep up with everybody else. I've got to have what everybody else has. And so the bottom line of it is that we're caught up in a spirit of consumerism. But I've got an answer for consumerism, and it's called contentment. Go with me very quickly to uh, the first uh, book of Timothy. The first book of Timothy. And we're going to read in verse number 6, and then I'm coming to a close here. But notice in, verse, in, in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, and, and I'm reading from the King James Version. It's going to be on the screen perhaps. But in verse number 6, it said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I don't care how much they jam-pack your casket with, you're not taking it with you. The body goes back to the dust, and the spirit goeth back to God who gave it. So you brought nothing out in, you are taking nothing out. Verse 8 said, having food, raiment, let us therewith be content. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Notice he didn't say they that, that, that are rich. He said they that will be rich. In other words, it's an attitude. If God blesses you and you, you prosper, thank God for it. There is nothing wrong or immoral about being rich unless you got it the wrong way. So there's nothing wrong, but he's saying those that will be, in other words, those that are consumed with being rich, consumed by joining the Millionaire's Club, consumed by having your name listed in Fortune 500 of the richest people in America. They that will be rich. If, again, if God blesses you, thank God for it. And Paul said in another verse, he said, just warn the rich that they don't trust in their riches. So there's nothing wrong or immoral about being rich, but they that will be rich or they that are, are driven to be rich are going to fall into diversions and perditions and destruction. And verse number 10, it says, for the love, somebody say, for the love, for the love of money, the love of money, the love of money. I've got to have enough. When is enough enough? When is enough enough? Can I, can I just minister for, for a moment? When is enough enough? We will sacrifice our families to work. Now, if you've got to work extra hours and you've got to work a, a lot of hours a week and, and, and you have to do it, that's one thing. But when we willfully are working hours 
that is taking us from our families. Can I pastor for just a moment? We've got to have those extra hours because that's going to mean a little more money in our bank account. And we will sacrifice time spent with our children. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you today, you can never recoup hours that you miss with your children. You can never regain opportunities that you spurn from sitting with a parent and having a conversation with them once they're gone. But I gotta work these hours. I gotta have this money. I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta sacrifice this. Is it worth it? No, it's not. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after they have erred from the faith. Notice, they have erred from the faith. When you begin to covet money, hear me. When you begin to covet money and things and materialism, the Bible said you have erred from the faith. Ooh, that's pretty stout, isn't it? And they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And I'm closing verses 18 and 19. But look, here's what he said. Let's go back to 17 real quick. Charge them that are rich in this age that they be not high-minded. In other words, if you are rich, you're no better than anybody else. All us poor folk were saying amen to that. <laughs> Nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, they that do good, that they be rich in good works. Notice this. If you want to be really rich, be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to share. And verse 19, here it is laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they might lay hold on eternal life. And that's what really matters. I think you ought to save. I think you ought to put back for retirement. I think you ought to invest. I think we ought to use our money wisely. I think we have an obligation to use our money wisely. I think the Bible tells us to do that. There are more verses in the Bible that deal with stewardship and here's what I think it is, ladies and gentlemen. I think the, the bottom line of the issue is is that we fail to understand who really owns everything. I think we fail to understand who really owns everything. We think it's ours. We think our possessions are ours. No, 
The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world, they that dwell therein. He owns it all. It all belongs to him. What you and I are, are stewards. Some of us he can trust with five talents, some he can trust with two, some of with one. That's a biblical principle. The attitude of this age, though, says, if I've got one, I really ought to have five. Can I tell you today, if you'll be faithful with the one, he'll give you two. And if you'll be faithful with the two, you know what? He'll give you five. But he will only give us what he can trust us with. Bottom line. He that is faithful in little will be faithful in much.